the slide, but right now I'm joined by Dr. Simone Marshall and Dr. Paul Tankard from the, the English Department here at the University of Otago. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Hi, Jason. Hi, it's Jamie, but that will do. Um, <laughs> uh, right, we're here to talk about uh, English 223 slash 323. It's entitled um, Fantasy and the Imagination. This is a paper that's happening at Summer School 2018. I love Summer School. It's my favourite. I, I love a quiet campus. <laughs> so do we. I love a quiet campus. Right. The, the reality is that fiction uh, is all the rage. Mm-hmm. And the reality is to that as well, it's always been all the rage. Uh, fiction uh, stories have always been the enduring stories um, over, over time. Um, um, non-fiction um, stories come and go and they're popular for a time but um, these stories just team seem to keep on going on and the the big the big ones um, can be bestsellers for 50 years you know you've seen that with Lord of the Rings and, and with other series as well uh, and and some of the biggest books of the 20th centuries the magician series uh, promises of blood uh, a thousand names you got the Percy Jackson series you got the songs of Ice and Fire. Uh, these are huge books. Yeah. Uh, what What is it about fantasy that, that holds our imaginations? I think that uh, fantasy taps into, as, you, as you've just said, taps into our desire to hear stories. And one of the reasons it particularly has connected, I think, with people in the 20th and 21st century is that fantasy is sort of cross-cultural, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas realistic fiction is tied to particular... T- cities, particular countries, particular times and occasions. Fantasy fiction is in a world of its own that everybody can enter and identify with. So Mm -hmm. I think that that, um, the big texts that you've mentioned are are hits outside of their own sort of literary cultures. They get translated and so forth, whereas the, the traditional texts of any particular language group belong primarily to that group because that's who they inform about yeah. their cultural background, whereas fantasy forms us about the human experience. Some of the biggest fantasy texts um, that I, I've read have been French. Mm-hmm. The French oh, yes. do great fantasy right, work. Right. Yeah, yeah, wonderful yeah. stuff. And the yeah. Spanish yep. and all that too. And like you said, they're easily translated um, because like, they're not tied to one thing, as mm. you have just said. And they, and they travel across time as well. So, yeah. you know, uh, fantasy texts from centuries and centuries ago are still of interest and relevant today for the same reasons. And, the, and your brain can translate it so well. I mean, the, the, I, I know when I'm reading fantasy, I, the, what I'm seeing inside my own head is quite vivid and, and incredible. And I think that's a really powerful thing about fantasy as well. It lets the imagination um, take take over and take control. Yeah. Fantasy is yeah. very visual yeah. too. It's, mm. it's not so oriented around linguistic nuance. Mm. It's more oriented around the whole world building thing. And so it gives more scope for imagination and therefore I think people get more imaginative, deeper, more profound imaginative pleasure out of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And um, I, and I guess fantasy um, starts getting into fantasy. It starts off when you're really young as well. You, you, you're told fairy tales when you're in bed before you go to sleep. And if you're lucky, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky. But and so you grow up with fantasy all your life. And I, I guess for a long time, um, fantasy was supposed to be just the realm of children. And and but then it became so much more. Well, there's a there's a deeper backstory to it than that. Fantasy only became the realm of children in the 18th and 19th centuries. Yeah. And this is one of the things that Tolkien, as a scholar, uh, was was very strong on. He said that fantasy got relegated to the nursery 
in the age of reason. Yeah. When mm -hmm. people started wanting everything to be pinned down in purely propositional and scientific kinds of terms, then mm. fantasy gets hived off and, and ends up being something that only children read. But he said that before that time, um, it was the case that fantasy was was what normal people read. Uh, long romances, gothic fictions and things like that. Um, the most ancient texts in, in any culture are what we would think of now as fantasy texts. Mm. Texts in which mm. the, the line between what is real and what is fantastic is very blurry. Think, mm. of, think of the two founding fictions of Western culture, the Iliad and the Odyssey, Mm -hmm. They yep. are full of fantasy. They You've got gods wandering in and out of them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They've got people going on journeys that <laughs> sometimes they land on shores that you can mark on a map, and sometimes, sometimes they land they on islands that don't exist. That, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so, and they were the stories that adults liked hearing mm. up until around about the 18th century, when the realistic novel was sort of invented, really, mm -hmm. by Daniel Defoe and other people. Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, fantasy... Fantasy's sort of the ground base of, of fiction, really. Be and you can understand that because it's, in fact, it's just... It's fiction to the nth degree. It's not just fictionalised series of events and characters, but a whole fictionalised world. Well, yeah, yes. yeah. I love how you touched on Homer there because um, that was kind of fantasy that came out of a past reality with the gods of uh, the, the Greek gods. It, it was a way of um, interpreting the world around you. Yeah. Um, so so you, you had these gods who were part of the world, the real world, as you, as you experienced it, because that was how you explained the world to yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Greek went through its dark times, so they explained all the old stuff before they became a democracy again. I've been reading... Uh, watching a lot of uh, Greek documentaries at the moment. <laughs> cool. <Yeah. Right. laughs> but that's great. And, and, and I love how like, that stuff is reinterpreted again. Like One of my favourite films of all time is O Brother Were Out Thou, oh, yes. mm. which is based on Homer's Odyssey. Well, it's, kind of. Yeah, kind, yeah, kind of. It's a loose stuff too, but yeah. I'm sure the Coen brothers still claim they've never read the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brett, right. So um, what do we cover in this paper? What, what, are we, what are we looking at, essentially? Well, we... Of course, our jumping-off point is the contemporary fantasy phenomenon, the the post-Tolkien three-volume epic fantasy novel. Uh, but in fact, we're wanting to look at the backstory mm -hmm. to to fantasy as a genre. So. We, we're looking far more widely than that. Mm. We go back to the roots of fantasy, which, as we've just said, are in fact the roots of English literature. So mm. chronologically speaking, although not where the course starts, but chronologically the oldest text we look at is Beowulf, which yeah. is the oldest written text in the English language, except that, of course, it's in Old English. Old English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we won't be reading it in Old English, <laughs> no, no. but so we'll be reading it in translation. translation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a fantasy text. It's yeah. got a, mo a, a monster and a dragon, dragon. and yeah. the monster's mother yeah. and an epic battle. Um, yeah, so, and it's a the hero. text. Yes. And Tolkien, of course, was intimately connected with that text because he taught it mm. and yeah. he, he rehabilitated it to some extent as a work of literature, not just a mine for you know, literary archaeologists to work in to try and figure out what the language was like you know, over a thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. So we look at that uh, and then we move into this, the sort of Chaucerian period and um, I don't think we're looking at any Chaucer but we're Not looking... Not particularly, but we're, we're going to be looking at um, 
a really famous fairy tale called Sir Orfeo. Um, okay. And it's it's really, I'm quite keen on this one because it really highlights how fairies are scary. Yeah, yeah. They are not pretty little <laughs> yeah, things at the bottom right. of your garden. Yeah, they are yeah. things that kidnap you and whisk you away to awful experiences. <laughs> so we've got that one in there. And that takes us into the Middle English period. And again, we won't be looking at it in Middle English. We'll be looking at it in Modern English. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fairies start getting a little bit more domesticated yeah. a couple of hundred years later when we get to Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. Another fantasy tale, but also a great literary classic. So one of the good things about doing this paper for students who are doing it as just a one-off, which we we suspect a lot of them will be, is that they'll get a nice uh, sort of background in the breadth of English literature as well. So so Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. Where um, the fairies are not evil so much as just a little bit naughty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mischievous. <laughs> That's right. Uh, get that word out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and has that that um, uh, interaction between the sort of classical world mm. and the fairy world, and then the contemporary world with the you know with the rustics. So it's it's um, more like the kind of sort of fairy tale setting that we imagine. Then we'll look at a couple of traditional fairy tale collections. It's it's around about this time that people started collecting fairy tales from oral culture, mm-hmm. and Perrault did that in France. The Brothers Grimm did that in Germany. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen did it in Denmark. Uh, lots of people did, but we're just looking at Perrault's fairy tales, a nice, mm-hmm. short, manageable collection with a couple of absolute classic fairy tales in it that we'd all be familiar with and that have got recycled, as you said. Yeah in the nursery and retold and retold by Walt Disney and all sorts of other people. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then, we move into, then we move into the Romantic period. Now, this is not the way the course is structured, but this is how it goes chronologically. Move into the Romantic period with um, when fairy, fairy tale gets a little bit sort of more marginalised um, against the background of realistic fiction and then into the sort of 20th century fantasy revolution. We also look at fantasy for children as well because from the 18th century on when fantasy goes into the nursery then you get texts like Alice in Wonderland that that stand against the the realistic fiction that adults are reading Mm. and children are reading People like George MacDonald and uh, and the fantasy tradition from uh, from Europe as well. Mm-hmm. So, of course, everybody out there wants to know Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got Harry Potter. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in in, in, in f- terms of lectures, the course actually starts with Harry Potter yeah, and yeah. works its way ba- works its way backwards. Because it's an absolute yeah. phenomenon. And oh, just absolutely! Sparked off so much, though. and and it very much um, shows that continuation of what Paul was saying about this this. Um, fantasy literature and starts to be produced for children yeah. you know, with that as its specific um, intended readership. So. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't stay in it doesn't stay in it doesn't the nursery either because yeah. one of the fascinating things about Harry Potter is how um, the publishers actually produced editions of the books that looked like adult novels so yes, grown ups right. could read them on the on the tube in London yeah, without yeah. embarrassment. Yeah. So it, it became uh, <laughs> a publishing phenomenon for more than just children, yeah, and of course it made J.K. Rowling the richest woman in England, mm. um, which is uh, probably why there are so many people itching to write fantasy novels now. Yeah. Far too many, in my yes, opinion, yes. but 
but the good ones will last that's for sure because off the back of that i mean i guess they started targeting different age groups too you started getting ones for tweens mm. uh, you got the twilight series which, you know, right. for, for, for teenage girls that's right. yeah. Yeah, yeah i think one of the interesting uh, phenomenons about harry potter is that you know that the, there is a generation of children who grew up at, who were the same age as the characters in the stories yeah. who grew up with with those stories but now i mean th- those children are adults now now we've still got a new generation that's coming through that is that is discovering Harry Potter for the first time, but they are now much younger than than um, the you know the, those who went through it yeah, first. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. Uh, Continues on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's fantastic. Um, you know, I was a bit older when it came out, but I was still enthralled. Um, and then I guess you know, do you look into how it's um, fantasy has evolved into video game and television and film as well yeah yeah we're quite interested in um the visual element that seems to accompany fantasy literature right through the the publishing period so you know you might think of that as a very recent phenomenon with movies and video games but um you know you can go back and look at dust jackets from books yeah and they're doing the same sort of things they're they're reinterpreting the the stories in a visual way um in the same way that films and video games do as well mm-hmm. yeah. so it goes back to the hey you know it's a very it's visual text is, is uh, um is fantasy and then sometimes when you read it and then you see it on the tv it's like oh that's not how i imagined it was yeah. going to look yeah. Yeah. which that's is always right. quite interesting that's and right. it, it, which makes that makes it quite challenging as well yeah. yes yeah yes. we really and we want to explore these things as issues too yeah because <clears throat> one of the things that um Tolkien was very um, sorry to keep on mentioning him, but he's, he's fine. the fantasy. Fine. <laughs> he's the fantasy writer I know most about, and the whole fantasy revolution. Really, if it hadn't been for the Lord of the Rings, we wouldn't be talking about fantasy yeah. now by any means. But he said that he his belief was that fantasy is essentially literary, and required the imagination to do the visual work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and yet, and this is the reason why. <coughs> I think artists are attracted to fantasy because they want to illustrate it, mm-hmm. because it has set off their visual imagination. Um, but he was a little bit worried that then if those images are mass marketed, then they colonise people's vis- visual imagination and save them doing the work themselves. Yeah, yeah. So these are interesting questions yeah, about then, yeah. where does fantasy yeah. operate most effectively? Right. Does, it, does it operate in the realm of literature and the pure imagi- the, the reader's visual imagination? And, but when the visual work is done for them, how does that sort of channel our imagination mm, in yeah. ways that, that sort of restrict the work that we're actually doing ourselves yeah and, and and i guess that works in with the times of where we live now too i mean the world's a lot more fast-paced we seem to have a lot less time as well so then you're you're, you're taking in this like in film form it's so much easier to take in too and so you're missing so much mm, that's yeah. true yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true and another interesting element to that is if you look at how video games have developed if you take something like world of warcraft you know, you've got an entire world, entire universe, it seems, that's created there, and it's yeah. phenomenally detailed. Yeah. Um, but you experience it first as a as a visual oral, you know, experience. Um, but it has a, 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 an extraordinary level of narrative going throughout it in all different areas. Um, so it's almost like that's taken on board this idea of the imagination created the visual world, and then the narrative comes in afterwards to mm. support it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's mm. really interesting. Mm. Um, all right, so who 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 is this for? Is this for just you know uh, an interest paper, or is this can be for a serious uh, English scholar as well? It's for both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we absolutely want it to be 
a serious paper. Yeah. Um, but, of course, we're hoping that we'll pick up people who'll take it as a one-off, and summer school papers usually do that. Yes. Um, that they'll get in people who have never thought of doing an English paper before and they see a topic that, that appeals. But by giving the sort of chronological range and quality additions, we're wanting to actually provide a, a literary depth to mm-hmm. people's experience of fantasy. And that's partly why we haven't put any you know, great time-consuming blockbusters on the course. Yeah, yeah. We're wanting to... We're assuming that the students who do the paper will have read the Lord of the Rings or the Game of Thrones or Wheel of Time or the Magician series or, or all yeah. of them yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that they're wanting to find out well what's the what's the larger context and what's the backstory to this kind of fiction that I enjoy so much and how so, much yeah how much reading is involved uh, how many books are we going to be reading We've got quite a few, but there actually are, are quite a few short things, to yeah. be honest. So, yeah. um, you know, a, as Paul was saying, there's no massive blockbusters there because, no. you know, the logistics just it wouldn't work for some of us, would it? <laughs> but the good th- I guess the good thing about these books is they're the ones that you just don't put down anyway, so you'll find you go through them quite quickly. Yeah, <laughs> no that's doubt. Right, no that's doubt. Right. Yeah, the longest novel is one of the Harry Potter, is the Harry Potter one, and it's it'd be twice the length of any other text. Mm. Uh, the other ones are, are more in the character of tales, really. Yeah. yeah. And so so we're wanting people to get we're more interested in range than we are in uh, range of material than we are in yeah. you know the, the, the really long kinds of immersive experiences all right and summer school courses from the 8th of january through to the 16th of february That's and right. uh you want to get in now to register so you can go to the website you just go to the summer school website to find uh all the papers there and register online and then get on the phone to study link and as I always say during these it's going to be summer and there's going to be less students so study link you only have to listen to one and a half songs maybe two and <laughs> uh you'll, you'll be straight through to them awesome excellent hey thank you both for coming in this morning it's You're been welcome. a pleasure thanks jamie yeah, yeah 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 um good luck with the course and i can't believe you're giving up your holidays but that's your choice that's your <laughs> oh, we'll choice. get it we'll get it back out of the university <laughs> <Yeah>. somehow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right it's now uh, it's 10 to the